So I wonder if you might like to use your imaginations today as I read from Colossians chapter 3, which are instructions that Paul gives to the young church in Colossae. As I read, just imagine it's tomorrow morning and you're getting dressed. But putting on as your undergarments, perhaps, these clothes that Paul says that young Christians need to put on. Colossians 3. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anna. Many years ago, a young man entered a monastery His intentions were good, his heart in the right place, and he thought the life of devotion would cure him of his sins, his troubles, his rage, especially his struggle with temptation. So he took vows, he left home and family, he surrendered all of his earthly possessions and began the journey to which he felt called. The years passed and the young man became a middle-aged monk living alone in the Egyptian desert in a cave. He knew all the prayers. He had memorized all the mantras, but still he was tormented by temptations of all kinds. Greed, women, drink, vengeance for some mistreatment decades in the past. In misery, he decided he needed a change. He would leave his little cave in the desert for another cave somewhere else. I've wanted to say things were caving in on him, but that's such a dad joke. Thank you, Nancy. Nancy's laughing wholeheartedly up here. Thank you, Nancy. Maybe the change of scenery, a new location would be good for his soul. So he put everything he owned, and it was just a few things, into this tiny bag, and he began putting on his sandals to walk away. And out of nowhere, another monk appeared in the doorway of his cave. Who are you? He asked the stranger. Me, came the response. Me? I'm you. I'm yourself. And it looks like you're leaving this place to get away from me, to get away from you. But untie your sandals, because no matter where you go to get away, you will always be stuck with you. It's not unlike the counseling patient reclining on the couch talking to her psychiatrist. 
She said, no matter where I go, I have to take myself along, and that ruins everything. (laughs) These stories frame perfectly this fourth Sunday of Advent. Love, hope, joy, and today, peace. Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill toward all men. That was the annunciation to the shepherds on the first Christmas. Peace on earth, goodwill to all. That's the message, but that is not really the reality. Why so? Is Christmas, is Advent that ineffective? Is the preaching of the good news, the tidings of great joy to all people, that powerless? No, I don't think so. Rather, I think it is this. There is so little peace in the world because we have so little peace within us. We are stuck with ourselves. We take ourselves wherever we go. And if we ourselves aren't peaceful people, how can there ever be peace in the world? This is true of all the great virtues. Love. Would you like to see a more loving world? Would you? Then it begins with you. Joy. Could we stand a little more joy and happiness around us? Then it begins with you. Don't you wish that we collectively had a little more hope, a little more confidence in the future? Then that begins with you. Love is an inside job. Happiness is an inside job. Hope is an inside job. Peace is an inside job. You aren't going to find these things out there somewhere. You will find infatuation out there. You will find distraction out there. You can numb your senses out there. But the real thing is always where it is. It's the work that is done inside your own heart and mind. Yourself, the real you, beneath all of those layers of defense, that is who must be transformed. And if you are looking without waiting for others to change, waiting for others to be different, you are barking up the wrong tree. The work is inside of you. The text today is a beautiful one. It's idealistic. Make allowance for others, Paul says. Forgive others. When you get dressed in the morning, just as Anna has said, put on mercy, put on kindness, Put on humility and gentleness and patience, thanksgiving. Sing a song, he says. And don't forget love. It's like the belt or the button or the pin that holds all of that together. So let's do what Anna invited us to do. Let's imagine that it's tomorrow morning and the alarm goes off. You reach for the coffee, or at least you should reach for that first. There's no shame in going to coffee before you talk to anybody else, even God. What do you reach for next? The remote control. (laughs) The iPad. The phone. What happened overnight in this world? Honey, you don't want to know. But you take it in, you soak it up, and then you go online. Because surely there's something edifying on social media today. There's nothing better than unbridled, uninformed opinions. Then it's off to work. 
Talk radio on all day. News on in the background all day. Opinion shows on when you get home. Podcasts, chain emails, downloads. And regardless of what angle they are taking, regardless of which side they are on, what are, the, what are all of these things doing? They are seeping their way into your heart and into your mind. You are becoming what you immerse yourself in. And what are you immersed in? Anything that Paul mentions here in the text? Allowance for others? Forgiveness for offense? Mercy? Kindness? Humility? Gentleness? Patience? Gratitude? Love? Happy songs? Good thoughts? No. You're getting a day-long dose of the opposite. You are getting clothed with offense, smothered in vexation and animosity. Puffed up with pride because your opinion is the right one and everyone else is an idiot. Meanness, hardness of heart, impatience, desire, hate. These are the cardinal virtues that our culture applauds and reinforces. You put it on like getting dressed and you carried it around all day. You go to sleep with it. You wake up with it the next morning. You aren't informed. You are aggrieved. You don't have opinions, your opinions have you. You aren't engaged, you are obsessed. And what of the damage to your spirit and your soul along the way? What of the peace that you say you long to possess? According to researchers, humans have something called negative bias. That is, our natural tendency... And I'm sure it is an ancient coping mechanism looking for danger, is to focus and dwell on what is negative over and against what is positive. So we remember painful experiences better than we do positive ones. We recall insults quicker than we do compliments. We react far more strongly to bad news than to good news. We dwell in our thinking far more on negative things than on positive ones, and we respond more strongly to negative events than we do to equally positive ones. You simply pay more attention to the bad things that happen in the world than you do the good things that happen in the world. If you don't believe me, I think you believe me, but if you don't believe me, You're standing here today in church, ten people come up to you. Nine of ten pay you a compliment and tell you how beautiful you look today. One person, one, says something disparaging to you. Which of those ten comments will you think about for the next six weeks? (laughs) Am I lying? Dr. Rick Hansen has the best summary of this. He says, quote, Your brain is continually looking for the negative, what is wrong. As soon as it finds it, the brain fixates on it with tunnel vision. It fast tracks into your memory storage bank, and then it gets reactivated at the slightest suggestion. And then he says, quote, In effect, the brain is like Velcro, For negative experiences, 
everything sticks. But it is Teflon for positive expenses, experiences. It all bounces off. And then he says this. You need seven positive, healthy, I would say, loving and peaceful reinforcements for every one negative reinforcement just to break even in your mind. Seven to one. So, read the news. Take in the information you need, and you do need it, to function in a global, multicultural, constantly changing world. Absolutely. Just know that for every hour of it that passes your eyes and ears and lands on your mind and in your heart, you'll need seven hours of detox just to get back to even. And maybe more than anything else, this is the biggest challenge for people like me, for people that do this job that I have and maybe counselors and social workers and others. One hour on Sunday is no match for the ceaseless hours of talk radio, 24-hour opinions, and online aggregation where truth cannot be sorted from fiction. If you are relying upon a few happy songs and a 20-minute sermon to overcome all the garbage that pours into your heart over the course of a week, there is no chance in hell that you will ever be happy one single day for the rest of your life. And that's the truth. It's too much. So tomorrow morning, the alarm goes off. You reach for the coffee. And then you reach for what? How about that journal sitting beside your bed? The one you've been meaning to get started with. What kind of journal is it? It's a gratitude journal. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. List them. Read from the Psalms. Maybe a favorite daily devotional. If you don't know of any, I can suggest at least one to you. If you reach for the iPad or something online, begin with something positive and hopeful. Linger over that coffee for a little while. Take a walk and think about, dwell upon all the love and the grace that you have in your life right now. Think about your children, your grandchildren, your friends, loved ones still with you and those that are already gone. Now make another list. Not of your grievances, but who needs allowance and space and forgiveness in your life? Who needs mercy and kindness? Who can you show gentleness and patience and love to today? On the way to work, sing a song. And if you can't sing, play one on the radio. Enjoy silence. Learn to be still. Learn to be at peace. And then you might be able to get through 15 minutes of the news without it making you want to leap into traffic. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, Paul says. Let peace rule. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Peace is there. It comes from Christ. It is bound for your heart. 
It seeks to be your grounding and your inner strength. Let it. Open the door. It will come rushing in. It will. Now, you're a leaky vessel. You'll have to get some more of it tomorrow because we're all cracked pots, literally. And all the good stuff that comes in just sort of leaks out over the course of it. Well, fill it back up. The peace is waiting there if you want it. If you want it. But is peace what we really want? I'm not so sure that everybody wants peace. Maybe we are addicted to this feeling of being offended all the time. Maybe we like being angry and unsettled because there is such an us versus them feel to it. Maybe we just want to win and call that peace when it's selfishness. Maybe we aren't willing to sacrifice and reconcile and do the sorrowful work that leads to peace because our pride won't allow it. Maybe we've locked the door on our hearts shut. Peace can't get in and love can't get out. And we are not inclined to go looking for the keys to open things up. Maybe we just aren't yet willing to surrender. Maybe the biggest barrier to peace is like the monk in the cave or the counseling patient on the couch. No matter where we go, we have to take ourselves along with us. Maybe we just don't want to change. Just better than 50 years ago, this month, one of the world's greatest contemporary mystics died, Thomas Merton. Merton was only 53 years of age when he died. He died either of a heart attack or by accidental electrocution. There was an electric fan running on a wet bathroom floor, and we don't know which came first. Merton was a monk. He was a spiritual master. He understood the path of peace, inner peace, outer peace, like only a handful of others in the previous century. And he came to his understandings about peace honestly because coming up, he had been anything but peaceful. His mother died when he was young. Merton's father was absent. As a child, he was volleyed between extended family and continents and boarding schools. Merton never had a place to call home. He was never at peace. And it drove him to self-destruction. Heavy drinking, promiscuous relationships, frivolous spending of what little money he had, anxiety, rage... But in the midst of this recklessness, like the prodigal son coming to his senses, Merton came to Christ and he was transformed. And immediately he tried to become a Franciscan priest, but he was rejected because his past had been so seedy and messy. Merton retreated to a small monastery called Gethsemane near Bardstown, Kentucky. And by the way, if I ever become a monk... Being near Bardstown, Kentucky, home of the bourbon of the world, is not a bad place to retreat to. (laughs) He joined the order, his sincerity overcoming the foolishness of his youth. He remained there for the rest of his life, writing from a small hermitage on the property, and is there that he is buried today. He is buried, but he is not dead. You can explore Merton's life in full. He wrote about four dozen books. Many of them are quite dense. And there are a dozen more about him. I've shared the Merton prayer a few times with you. A part of it goes like this. 
My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it, where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I know you will lead me by the right road, though I might not know anything about it. That's a beautiful prayer. I have other words of his today. His words about peace. I finished last Sunday with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Thomas Merton today. I could not recommend to you better voices for these days in which we live. This is Thomas Merton on peace. It makes sense for a sick man to pray for health and then take his medicine. But I fail to see any sense at all in praying for peace and then drinking poison. When I pray for peace, I pray for God to pacify not only my opponents, but above all, myself. When I pray for peace, I am not just praying that others will give up without a struggle and let me have my way. I am praying that both, that we, may somehow be restored to sanity and learn how to work out our problems the best we can together instead of preparing for what looks like global suicide. If people really wanted peace, they would sincerely ask God for it and He would give it to them. But why should He give the world a peace it really doesn't want? It is absurd to hope for solid peace based on fiction and illusion. So instead of loving what you think is peace... Love people and love God above all. And instead of hating the people you think are the problem, hate the appetites and the disorders in your own soul, which are the causes of our conflicts. If you love peace, hate injustice. If you love peace, hate tyranny. If you love peace, hate greed. But hate these things first in your own soul. And then peace might have a chance. Powerful words. So let each of us, for our own sakes, for our brothers and our sisters, and for the sake of Christ, begin at home within each of us.